Have you ever been given a gift that uh, was from someone special? And you received it, and you wanted them to know that you appreciate it. Yet in the back of your mind, you were thinking these thoughts. I'm not sure I need that. Um, But you wanted the person to know that you're grateful that they were thinking about you. And so as you look over this gift, you open it in front of them. Maybe it's already open, and you, you look over it, and you say, thank you. Yet you know when this person leaves because you think that this gift isn't as valuable as it really should be to, as they think it is. You know that as soon as they leave, you're, you wonder, what will I do with this gift? And so when they leave the house, when they leave the room, when they leave your car, your business, wherever it's at, you take that gift and you place it on the top shelf of, of your closet. You open up a drawer and you stick it in. Or maybe you just throw it in the corner with the rest of the things, forgetting about that gift for a while. And so you think it doesn't have the value that, or kind of value that it needs that you should have it with you wherever you go. And so you kind of forget about it. But it's been a gift that's been given to you. Yet... It's been placed on a shelf, been placed in a drawer, it's been left behind, it's been thrown in a corner, it's hanging on your workbench, and, and then you think you don't need it. And so you kind of forget about it. And then, like, out of nowhere, you realize, I could really use one of them. And yet you forgot it was there, and so you've been spending all your time trying to do this thing, accomplish this goal. Walk through this journey in your life without this thing. And you're like, why didn't I use it before? Well, let me give you a for instance. I like to work on cars. I, I enjoy, I'm a carpenter by, 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 by trade. And so I like working my hands. If you came to my house, I have a workbench. And, and many years ago, I was given one of these. And it, it seemed insignificant at the time. And, and so it was small, it was little. And, and I had a man say, you know what? You need one of these. You, you should have one of these. And so I looked at it and I went, wow, this thing gets long. And I realized on the end of this thing is a magnet. And this magnet is used to pick up things. And I thought, I really don't need this, but thanks. It, to me, it didn't seem as valuable as it did to the giver. And so I took it and know what I did with it? I opened it up and I hung it on my workbench and I, I let it hook up on the backside to another tool that's hanging on my work bit. And it was hanging there for a long time, not knowing the real value of this gift. It's like, it didn't seem that important. And so as I worked on cars for years and, and I, would, I would drop a nut or if you've ever turned wrenches on something and a boat falls off and there's always those places. So I spent a large part of my life going like this, trying to get that boat down inside of there. I would crawl underneath on my creeper with a light. It's like trying to get up in there. It's like, I can't get that thing. So I spent a large part of my life trying to find that nut or bolt that's stuck between the alternator and the water pump and, and, or in behind the radiator. And so I used this method for so long. And then one of those days, like, oh, that's what that is for. So I reached down and grabbed this thing, and then I, I watched this instrument, this gift that was given to me. I stuck it down between after dropping a boat, and I went down inside, and it went. And I pulled it out, and there was that boat that I would have spent hours. And I would have wasted my time when. If I had just went and used the gift that was given to me for the intended purpose, then I could have spent this time on what I was supposed to spend time on and accomplish this goal. It's kind of like that with this gift called the Holy Spirit. We've been given this gift. And to us, it's like, well, it's like the Holy Spirit. And at conversion, when we come to Christ, in fact, we've even like forgotten his name. It's like we even use terminology like this. When someone comes to Christ, say, Jesus is living in your heart now. Isn't that great? Listen, Jesus doesn't live in your heart. 
the Holy Spirit does. And so we've even kind of dismissed him. And even in our thinking, we train our kids up and they, they, they grow up and they come to Christ. And, and we even have them say, Jesus lives in my heart. Now, I understand what that means. He's the Lord and leader of life. And I understand why you say that. Boy, listen, let's tell them the truth. Who invades and lives in your heart when you're born again? The Spirit of God lives in us. Yet there's been this gift that's been given by our great God. And, and he's powerful, but he's been forgotten. We've taken him, we, we got it at conversion, we placed him on the shelf of our heart, and we're trying to walk through life doing it ourselves. Trying to work our way through, trying to get our way through, and making it happen when all along the Holy Spirit is saying, I can do that for you. That's what I've been intended to do. That's what I've been made for. And he cries out from within going, hey, what about me? And most of us have spent the majority of our Christian walks neglecting a gift from the greatest gift giver ever, God himself. We've placed the Holy Spirit, and we don't even talk about him. We don't even use his name, and yet he's the third person of the Trinity. He's the living God, and he lives in us. Oh, my hope and prayer is this, Grace Community. My hope and prayer is this. That we begin to live to our redemptive potential. That we begin to tap into the power of this living God inside of us. And that we don't forget about him. And that we, we don't dismiss him. And we don't lower his value because he is God and he lives in us. And when we do, we no longer have to do it all by ourselves. We can cry out to him and he can penetrate, he can divide, he can lead, he can do for us what we could never do on our own. From time to time, you'll see evidence of that in a person's life. From time to time, you'll see evidence of that in in someone's life, even in the Bible. And from time to time, you see where someone who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, who's filled with the Spirit, who's listening to the Spirit, who hasn't placed the the Spirit on the shelf, and, and this woman or this man is walking in the Spirit, and you realize, that's what I've been made to do. Even this week as I was studying for this message, I was reminded that as we look at this man today, that spirit-filled men and spirit-filled women, when they're opposed or misunderstood, when they're contested or criticized, and when they're, they're trying something new, when someone else says, I'm not sure about that, they remain resilient, as we're going to see in this man's life today, to their mission because they were encouraged by the spirit to do so. You might ask, why is that? Because they know in their hearts of hearts that the Spirit of God is saying, doing it. Even though all around them, people are shaking their heads and saying, why would he do that? Why would she do that? Why don't he do this? Why doesn't she do that? Why are they going there? Why are they doing that? When all alone, you know when you're all by yourself, the Spirit of God is encouraging you, moving you, leading you, and prompting you to do so. So this week, as I was prepping for this message on the Holy Spirit, this thought occurred to me. I should ask the Holy Spirit to teach me to be able to preach about the Holy Spirit. So I said, Holy Spirit, you live in me. You are God and you are there to help. Help me to talk about you. Help me to preach about you in truth. Help me, guide me, lead me. Let me ask you a question. When you ask those kinds of questions, you're asking the Holy Spirit to, don't you think that a good God would do good things for a good request? How often, though, do we go to the Holy Spirit and just ask him for help? Now think about this for a second. 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds us this. Don't turn there, just, just listen to this. Reminds us all scripture is God breathed. It's useful for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking and training in righteousness. In other words, 
The Bible tells us that the Bible is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and training in all righteousness. No, we, this is our guide. This book is useful to us if we want to stay on the path of God. Then the Bible tells us this in 2 Peter. Don't turn there. Chapter 1 and verse 20 to 21, it says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by prophet's own interpretation of things. In other words, this book wasn't written by man alone. He just didn't write his own thoughts. For prophecy, or the Word of God, never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here's what that means. This book, the word of God that's inerrant and infallible, was written by human authors who were, who were moved, who were led, who were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, the author of this book is the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? Well, just picture if you can, you're going to a, a, a new book release. The, the author's sitting at the table and all his books are piled up and, and you have already purchased one. You're standing in line. It's like, I can't wait to get to the author to get his, get his signature. And so you have the Bible in your hand. There's the stacks of Bibles. And you're walking up and, and, and you hand your personal copy. And the Holy Spirit signs it. Holy Spirit. Now think about what that means to us today. From time to time, you'll ask this question. I've had many people ask this, and you've had people ask this. Your children have asked this. Your colleagues, people that you're mentoring have asked you this question. And they'll say something like this. Jim, when I read the Bible, I just don't understand it. Especially when I'm in Leviticus. Like, what the world's happening there? And so when they read, they're like, I don't understand. How can I help? Can I go get a commentary? What tool should I use to, to fully understand the word of God? Think about the answer to that question. All we got to do is ask the author of the book for help. Don't you think that the, the God who wrote the book knew what he was writing when he wrote it? Don't you think he knew what the intended purpose of a paragraph, of a sentence, of a book was? Don't you think that an author knew what he was thinking when he wrote it? Don't you think that this author, being a God, knows exactly what he meant when he wrote it? Then why don't we ask him to help us? How often do you do that? Seriously. When's the last time you've opened up the word of God and you said, author, Holy Spirit, I know you wrote this book. I'm pretty sure you knew what you meant when you wrote it. Can you help me understand the word of God? Do you think he would say no to that? My hope is this today, that somehow we begin to, to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that somehow we bring him back and active and we take this beautiful gift that's been given us and we say, why in the world have I waited so long to use this incredible gift called the Holy Spirit? Jesus had some words to say about that. Turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 in, in your New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to Luke chapter 11. Jesus had something to say about this. Luke chapter 11. Jesus was teaching on prayer. And as he was teaching on prayer to his disciples, he gets to the end of this teaching on prayer and he closes with this powerful instruction to his disciples. Just look at it. I'll read it. You don't have to read it. But look at Luke chapter 11 and verse 11. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, which of you fathers, by the way, I love this part in the, you know, I, I love this because I love going after men and dads. He looked out, he says, hey, dads, listen up. Dads, he, he addressed fathers, dads, and today I say, hey, dads, hey, dads, you better listen to this. Look what he says. Which of you dads, if your son asked for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asked for an egg, will give him a scorpion. Then Jesus says this, if you then, though you are evil, we are, we have a sin nature, know how to give good gifts to your children. In other words, we give good gifts even though we're sinful dads. How then 
would this happen? Look what he says. How much more will your what? What's it say? In where? Give the what? To those who what? If you would look this phrase in the original, how many of you would ask the Father in heaven above to give to you the Holy Spirit if you ask him for help? So Jesus himself is saying, hey, I've left the Holy Spirit here for you. You better do some askings, dads and moms, followers of Christ. If you want help, ask the Holy Spirit for help. When's the last time in your prayer life you just said that, Holy Spirit, would you help me? When's the last time you even address the name Holy Spirit? How often, moms, do you pray over your kids and say, Holy Spirit, I pray for my son and daughter. I pray for my grandchild. Holy Spirit, will you? Jesus said, we should ask him for help. There's a man in the Bible that does this well. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's in tune with the Holy Spirit. He's moved by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to see what happens when a man filled or woman filled with the Holy Spirit begins to ask the Holy Spirit for help. Turn to Acts now, chapter 9. Just turn over to the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 9. And we're going to see an individual who did this well. And we're going to see what happens when... We do these kind of things. Ask the Holy Spirit for help. Acts chapter 9 and verse 20 to 31. Stand with me. Let's let's read it together. Acts chapter 9 verse 20 to 31. Read it out loud with me. Acts chapter 9 verses 20 to 31. Ready, read. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy amongst the Jews to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. You may have a seat. Let me just preface this story for you. Saul quickly was, short and sweet, he killed Christians. Prior to this moment in his life, he would stand and say, I need you to go kill those Christians. He would send out orders, and the orders were, go kill Christians. He, he sent out murderous threats against Christians. The people of the way, the disciples during that time, knew that. Paul, who was Saul, his name was Saul before he was, came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior, was on this road to Damascus. And the scripture tells us in, in, in Acts chapter 9, he had this encounter with God. And it says that he trusted in Jesus Christ. He turned from killing Christians to now being one. Immediately, the text says, he went on and preached because he was filled with the Spirit. Yet not everyone was certain they should trust Paul. Because they had an aunt, they had an uncle, they had a brother or sister, or they had a boss or employee, they had a neighbor, they had a friend that was killed by Saul and his men. And so think about it. Imagine this week, a murderer that came out through this community, Elkhart County, front page, Goshen, Elkhart News. You saw him. And he murdered your neighbors. He murdered some of your friends. He murdered your child. He murdered your mom. He murdered your dad. He gets thrown into jail. He has this jailhouse 
experience where he comes to Christ. So in about three to four or five months, you come in on a Sunday morning to Grace Community Church, and there's this murderer that killed your child, that killed your wife, that killed your husband, that killed your neighbor. There he is, and he says, all right, open your Bibles to... That's what's happening here. Saul was the murderer of the Christians, and now he's preaching. He goes to these people, yet they don't want to accept him. They're a little skeptical. They're like, are you sure? You're not sure he's like going to pull out an AR-15 in the midst of the service and blow us all away? Are you sure that he's a follower of Christ? Let me just say it this way. There was a man in this midst by the name of Barnabas who stood up within this circle of people and said, we can trust him. One man filled with the Holy Spirit stood up and he saw things differently than other people were able to see. He, he saw Paul in a new light. He knew that he was a follower. He had heard him preach. And now he has a chance with his influence and his reputation to say, we need to give this guy a chance. Chapter 9 and verse 1 says, just prior to this, he was, Saul was breathing murderous threats on Christians. But look what Barnabas does in chapter 9 and verse 26. Look at verse 26. When he came to Jerusalem, Saul, that is. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But who? Who is it? Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And then the next phrase said, so Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Why? Because one man filled with the Holy Spirit, in tune with the Holy Spirit, stood against everyone else that said, no, Groups of people, no, we're not allowing him to speak. We don't believe he's a disciple. One man stood up because he was encouraged by the Spirit. And when he was all alone in his prayer room at his house, in his shop, in his truck on the way to work, at, his, at, his, at her sewing table, whatever it is, one person stood up and said, no, we need to trust him because they had heard from God. He put his reputation on the line here. Others were afraid of him. Everyone else gave reasons why this wasn't a good move. We, we shouldn't do that as a church. We shouldn't do that as a business. We shouldn't do this as a family. I mean, what will people think if we show up there? What will people think if we go there? What will people think if I take that job? What will people think if my wife and I move to another state? What will people think if I go to this school? What will they think? Listen, it doesn't matter what people think. It matters what the Spirit of God is telling you to think and do. And Barnabas was one of those kind of people. In fact, turn over. How do I know this? Same context. Read over to Acts chapter 11, verse 24. This is the same Barnabas. Here's why he was able to stand in the face of opposition and say, this is a good man. Look at Acts chapter 11 and verse 24. It says this. This is Barnabas. He was a what kind of man? Full of what? And what? And a great number of people were brought to who? Filled with faith. Filled with the Holy Spirit. A man who's filled or a woman who's filled with the Holy Spirit has been in tune, is being led, is being moved, is being prompted in communication by the Holy Spirit. And you can trust them. Let me ask you a personal question. Who do you trust? When you don't know what to do, who are you more apt to trust? I know who I'm more apt to trust. I'm going to someone who has consistency in their life with Jesus Christ. I'm going to listen to a woman who spends time in the word, who's been on her knees. I I often go to my wife and say, honey, what do you think? Because I know there's been consistency in her life. I know that she's listening to God. I can see that she's on the front lines, and I know that she's praying, and, and she's saturating God's word. And so often I say, honey, what do you think? I go to men of God and say, what do you think? Men of God who I know are regularly in God's word, 
men of God who are actively sharing their faith, men of God who are filled with the Spirit. And I go to men who have been consistent in their walks for periods of time. I'm going to ask them, Barnabas was that kind of man. And he swayed the masses all by himself that Paul was able to move freely and to preach boldly in Jerusalem. You know what impact that has on our world? Imagine if Barnabas didn't come to the surface. Where might Christianity be today? Potentially 13 books of the New Testament wouldn't be written had Barnabas not stood up and stood against those who said, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think we should do that. I don't think that that's good enough. And began to criticize and tell all the reasons why that wasn't good. One man stood up and said, I believe that we should trust this guy. And he swayed not only the disciples, but he went right to the apostles and said, I'm putting my reputation on the line. I believe the Holy Spirit says this is a good man of God, and they listened to him. Look what happened as a result of that. Look at chapter 9 and verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. I cannot tell you how comforting that verse has been to me, and I know it has to you too. I can't tell you how many times as a father, as a brother, as a, a son, even to my mom watching what she's walking through, how many times just on my knees just praying for my mother and my stepfather. How many times coming away in a time of prayer, just being encouraged by the Spirit, knowing he's saying, I got your mom's back. I got your stepfather's back. I can't tell you how many times in the, the quietness of my study when it feels like no one's agreeing with me, and it feels like it feels opposed. But and after spending time with him, when I know that the Spirit is saying, Jim, just go, Jim. Just do it. You got to trust me, Jim. I can't tell you how many times just being encouraged by the Spirit to press on in the face of opposition when others don't see maybe what you see. And you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are experiencing it right now. It's like you're doing something right now that other people don't understand, but you know, you're, you're, you've stepped out in faith and, and here you are today. You're seated here and it's, 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 it's a new journey for your life. And you know, you've been encouraged by the spirit and you know, there's people who don't understand. Listen to me. It doesn't matter what man thinks. It matters what God thinks. That gentle whisper that says, you're doing the right thing, Jim, has helped me on so many occasions. In fact, I have to go to Galatians 1.10 often because and to remind myself what Paul said many years later after Barnabas stood up for him here. And Paul said this, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Barnabas got this one down early in his journey. Even when everyone else was showing him all the reasons as to why it was wrong, accepting Paul, and brought all their arguments and all their reasons to the table, why it wasn't a good thing, he stood up and he said, men, I believe I put my reputation on the line. This is too good to throw out. He's too good. Give this man a chance. There's no doubt that Barnabas was filled with the Spirit. The text says that he was. Otherwise, he could have never convinced the apostles, not just the disciples, but the apostles to do so. You see, Spirit-filled men and women are praying men and women. And they ask the Holy Spirit for help. And they begin to pray for their opposers or opposition that don't, and they don't try to please man or woman. And sometimes it means you might be the only one. But listen, you're not living to please man or woman and have the, the applause of man. You're trying to get the applause of God. This week as I prayed over my family and my kids and my wife, I prayed this. Oh, please, God, give the Browns the fortitude to do the hard thing. When we hear that small, still voice of the Holy Spirit, help us to do the hard thing. Even though we know it's the right thing, it could be very difficult. Give us the fortitude, Holy Spirit, to do that. By the way, it was difficult for Saul, too, 
Don't forget what happened to him in, in taking this step. Look at chapter 9. Just look back at verse 23. It says, after many days had gone by, Saul, after he converted, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. So when you come to Jesus, it's not easy. And then it says this in verse 29. Even after Barnabas gave him approval and they accepted him, it says this in verse 29. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to what him? It was difficult. Listen, the Holy Spirit doesn't lead us into safety zones. Often the journey gets more difficult. And the only encouragement we get is the encouragement of the Holy Spirit to continue to press on. I have people ask me often this question. Pastor Jim, how do I know what God's will for my life is? Genuinely ask. Just, I mean, they want to know. That's like, they don't want to miss out. And, and so I have people often, and you've been asked that question too. You've been asked that question by your kids. You've been asked that question as you sat with your wife or your husband. And, you, and so we want to know. And so I have people all the time come to me, Pastor Jim, I don't want to miss God's will for my life. And so, They'll ask this question, what am I supposed to do with my life? I hear from college students all the time. Now that I'm getting close to graduation, what am I supposed to do? It's like there's this fear that envelops him from the enemy that says, don't make a mistake. And so we let that fear of making a mistake somehow thwart us from from living daily with Christ. And so there's like, we don't want to step there. It's like, oh no, if I take that job or if I make that decision that somehow I'm going to blow the rest of my life. And so no, we do, we just go into this holding pattern. We don't try anything with fear of, I don't want to step there. I might make a mistake. I don't want to go there. I might make a mistake. I don't want to go there. I might miss God's will. I don't want to go there. I might miss God's will. Listen to me. You want to know what God's will is? Here's what it is. Every single day of your life, listen to him, obey him. Every single day of your life, get up and say, Holy Spirit, what is it you want me to do? And when he he guides you and leads you, every single day of your life, spend time praying. Every single day of your life, when you have a decision to make, do what Christ would want you to do. And guess what? By the time you continue to do those things, guess where you will end up? Right where God wanted you. Don't let that long term, those five years, that 10 years, those 20 years, the next four years of your life, let that paralyze you. Just do what any man or woman of God is. You know how you become a man or woman of God? It's not like you just start one day, today I'm a man or woman of God. It's all the thousands of little decisions that you make every single day of your life. And as you do them regularly, you begin to end up and you become the man or woman that God wants you to be. I had no idea that I would be where I'm at today. None. If you would have come to me in high school, if you would have walked up to my sisters and said, you know what, Jimmy's going to be a preacher one day, they would have laughed their heads off. But you know how it happened? Daily obedience. God, what do you want me to do today? Faithful in the workplace. Spending time in prayer. Sharing my faith. Reading his word being sensitive to the spirit and gently, step by step, doing what I thought God wanted me to do. And you know what happened? I ended up right where he wanted me. Don't let it paralyze you. The spirit can help you daily. And so if you ask him daily, you will end up where he wants you to be. Don't let that, whatever it is out there, cause you to go into a holding pattern of fear. I understand that some of you are, find yourselves, your husband just left you, your wife just left you, and now he left and ran off with another woman. He left and ran off another man. And you're thinking, man, and you're thinking, what's God's will for my life? You know what it is, sister? You know what it is, brother? Be faithful today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day, the next day, and God promises to never leave you or forsake you. That's what it is. Barnabas was led by the Spirit. But listen to me, the Spirit's not going to lead you into a safety zone. I also know this, a Spirit-filled person becomes a catalyst for transformation. Look at the end again in chapter 9, verse 31. It says this, it says, living in the, look at the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Let me clarify this though. We can create some pretty spectacular things on our own. We can mechanically 
build programs, build businesses, build all kinds of things that, boy, we can get all kinds of things in movement. And we can even attract masses of people to our businesses, to our churches. And we can create these, these mechanics that, that look, wow, and on the outside, it looks really, really, really spectacular. But listen, you can do all of that and it can still lack the dynamics of the Holy Spirit. But when the Holy Spirit's involved, you will see life transformation. The reason God works so tremendously here is because one man was filled with the Spirit, Acts eleven twenty four. You see, I never want to be what the church in Sardis was called. I never want us to be that as a church. Revelation 3, 1, it says, I know your deeds. You have a great reputation of being alive, but you are dead. In other words, there was a time when you were just storming the gates of hell. There was a time when men and women were running hard after Jesus. There was a time when children were flourishing and growing and and living out their faith. There was a time when you were a dynamic group, Holy Spirit-filled group of people. There was a time you had a great reputation, but now your reputation might be on because people have moved away. But if you were to open you up, you are dead on the inside. So how do we know? How do we, how do we stay on track? I mean, how do, we, how do we know God's will and live it out? How, how do we know what those little steps are? Most of us just want like, well, I wish God would just have like Charlton Heston's voice, go to Walmart. <laughs> Stand in aisle seven by the chickens. First guy that comes there, tell him he need Jesus. Pray in aisle, watch man get saved. Go to Al 6, buy chocolate and celebrate. <laughs> now, that would be from God, wouldn't it? You know, I, I have a phone that some of us would wish we had a phone, that, that, an Apple phone that, had, that we, we, could just, we could just press it and, and we, could, we could ask Siri. I mean, Siri, let's, let's just ask Siri. Let, here's, here's, how, here's how we want. Let, let's just ask Siri. Siri, how can I get to where I'm supposed to be? She doesn't know. Okay, I'll ask her again. Siri, give me directions to where I'm supposed to go. We don't appear to be navigating anywhere right now. <laughs> now, that would be okay, wouldn't it? In other words, where you're headed isn't good. Okay, wouldn't it be great if we could ask this question? Siri, I need directions to God. No answer. Siri, come on, help me out. Siri, can you give me directions to God? Which God? Tap the one you want. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't it be awesome if we could operate that way? Wouldn't it be awesome if we could just ask? Wouldn't it be awesome if somehow he showed? Listen, it is possible. But you got to ask the living God. You got to hold it up against scripture. You got to go to multiple counselors and say, what do you think? You got to go to men and women of God and say, what do you think? You got to go to your wife who's been interceding and praying or your husband and says, what do you think? And you got to ask the Holy Spirit for most of us who've been placed on the shelf of our lives and say, help me. Don't you think that a good God is going to help good people and give them a good answer? Yet we don't. We just kind of place him on the shelf. It's impossible to be spirit-filled and not have a dynamic impact on our world. There will be evidence of life change. Spirit-filled people regularly ask for help. So... How do we do that? So make it practical, Pastor Jim. Show me. Just like, I don't have Siri. Siri. (laughs) I got a droid. I don't have Siri. Tell me, what are some things I should ask for? Well, turn to John chapter 16. Let's just see what the Holy Spirit says to ask for and what he can do for us. Turn to John chapter 16. I'm convinced that Barnabas did this because he was a spirit-filled man. John chapter 16. Look at verse 13. 
Jesus says this about the work of the Holy Spirit. He says this in John 16 and verse 13. But when he, the spirit of what, comes, he will what? Into all what? He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to what? He will guide you into truth. I want to repeat this because I want all of us to do this. I want us to regularly go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, will you guide me? Holy Spirit, what should I do? He can guide us in truth. I can't tell you how many times and how important this is. Have you ever been stuck in the middle of two people? One person says this, another person, maybe it's your kids, and you're trying to get to the bottom of the issue. All right, what really happened? She says, I didn't do anything. He says, she did it. Or maybe you have these people who are coming to you, this marriage, and you're trying to give counsel. Maybe it's a man and another man who has a rift between them. And you hear two different sides of the story. How do you know what's true? Guess what? Ask the Holy Spirit and he'll guide you in truth. I can't tell you how many times I've picked up on something that's discerning the Spirit. It's like, oh my, something's not right. Oh, oh, there is something there that's wrong. Oh, man, they've pulled away. Oh, they've disappeared. Oh, they have a bitter heart. Oh, they're, they're oh, oh. And it's like, and, and, and I can't tell you how many times I went to my wife and I said, something's not right with them. Something's not right. And so we'll go, Holy Spirit, would you reveal the truth? Holy Spirit, would you give me the answer? And I can't tell you how many times in the midst of two people standing with someone in a case of having two people and asking for the truth, he says, this is true. Guess what? You're doing that, aren't you? And they look at you. He will answer and give you the answer. He will guide you into truth. Look at John chapter 16. Look at another thing we can ask for in verse 8. John chapter 16 and verse 8. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about what? And what? And what? In other words, he can show you right from wrong. He can spot sin. He can convict the world of sin. And so we can pray even over our kids, over our marriages, over people, over over employees. We can say, Holy Spirit, would you convict him? Holy Spirit, would you let them know what they're doing isn't, isn't what they should be doing, that it's sin? Or better yet, will you convict him? Because I certainly can't get through to them. Just recently, I heard a man say this. He had a child that they, they, he just had behavior problems. A young boy, and I mean, they were at their, their wits' end. He would go do this thing and sin. And it's like they talked to him, they told him why it's bad, and he would, he would, they, they would try to correct him. They used discipline, they used everything under the sun, and they were at the end of the rope. In fact, they were wondering if this wouldn't be the child that would run away from God as any parent, where they were deeply concerned about this child. This, nothing was working, nothing was working, nothing was working with this child. They just couldn't keep this child on the straight and narrow, and they were concerned and they were broken. Nothing, nothing they did. And so you know what they did? They grabbed their son. They took their arms around their son, both of them, and laid their arms and just hugged him. His head sticking up between, and they prayed, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you convict our son of sin? Holy Spirit, you live in him. Holy Spirit, would you show him right from wrong? Holy Spirit, we haven't been able to reach him. Would you do what you say you can do? Convict the world of sin. Holy Spirit, would you convict him? And this man said they pulled away. And the son stood up. Tears running down his face. And he looked at his mother and father and said, I'm sorry. I now understand that what I was doing was wrong. Will you forgive me? When's the last time you've taken your son or daughter and just prayed over them and said, Holy Spirit, please, will you do what you're good at? Show them. I've tried. I've, I've tried. And I'm not getting anywhere. Holy Spirit, would you do what you're good at? Listen, the Holy Spirit wants us to allow him to help us. How about a crossroads? I've been in impasses with my wife, and, and she is a woman of God. 
intercessor. Now I say intercessor, I mean, she prays for hours for our family and for the church and for this world. And, and, and she, she prays, she's an intercessor. So I value what she says. And, and, and so there's these times that we get together and we're at an impasse. Like, and so I think this is what we should do. And she says, no, Jim, I think this is what we do, but I'll follow you, Jim. I trust you. You've been consistent. And just want to let you know that I believe this is what God wants us to do. Don't just love those moments with your wife, by the way. Maybe you do. It's like, I, I just, so, so what she does, we walk away and, and I leave. And so you know what she does? She prays to the Holy Spirit. I don't have a fat chance then. It's like, because she hopes, not always, she hopes that, that I'll be sensitive to the Spirit. That at some point, she hopes that I'll turn back and listen to the Spirit. She hopes. And so I'll be driving down the road. I'll be sitting in my office and I'll be walking along. I might be running. And it's like, that thing comes to mind. It's like, oh, stink. She was right again. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I've told you this before, but I had a, a colleague, it's worth repeating, who, who had a cantankerous man in his church. And he just kept coming after him, coming after him, coming after him. I mean, he, it was the body of Christ, supposed to be unity there. And it got beyond just preferences. It got beyond, this is what I think. It got beyond, it got personal. And so this man would stand up in meetings and he, he, actually, he, he actually started writing letters and he started trying to divide the church and, and with conversations. And we're good at that. We plant little seeds here. Hey, did you hear he said that? What do you think? And he began to plant these little seeds and, it, and this man, this pastor was just broken over this and he had prayed. And so finally he said, this is the truth. He said, I prayed one night. He said, God, I'm at my wits end. God, I've done everything I can do. Holy Spirit, would you just sick them? And uh, the man died the next day. Went home to be with the Lord. Don't ever underestimate. By the way, I don't pray that kind of prayer for you. (laughs) But don't ever underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit. Luke 12, look at Luke chapter 12. What else, look at else we're supposed to pray for and ask for. Luke chapter 12, Galatians chapter 5. Turn to Galatians chapter 5 first. Galatians chapter 5, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Look what else we're supposed to, to, to have as a result of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passion and desire. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, we're supposed, the evidence of you walking in the Spirit, you cannot be impatient, you cannot be unloving, you cannot be ungentle, you cannot have lack of discipline in your life, you cannot be, you cannot have areas in your life that are out of whack to be walking in the Spirit. This is the, the proof. This is the test. This says when you're walking in the Spirit, you have these things. But let's face it. Some Monday mornings, we wake up and we say, this is going to be a great day for me, but the rest of the world, watch out. Because we have this flesh side of us that maybe we were up all night with the baby. Maybe a business deal went south. Maybe we had an argument with our wife. Maybe we had an argument with our, with our, with our husband. Maybe, maybe we just got the news that, that we lost our job. Maybe just maybe my father's dying, my mother's dying. Maybe we lost a child. Maybe we just don't feel like we're spirit-led. And there are those days because we are human beings where we feel that way. When we wake up, we know you better stay away from me because I'm going to be grumpy, so don't get in my way. And the Spirit of God can step in. We can pray, Holy Spirit, help me to love. Holy Spirit, help me to be patient. Holy Spirit, help me to be gentle. And you know what he does? He helps us. And the only reason you're not, because you didn't ask him. What else can the Holy Spirit do for us? Look at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 12. Luke chapter 12 and verse 12. I wish I had hours to tell you all the things the Holy Spirit could do for you. Luke chapter 12 and verse 12. Jesus is having this conversation. And he says this in verse 11. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, chapter 12 and verse 11, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. In other words, when you're pressed to the carpet to answer questions, do not worry how you defend yourselves. For the what, what's it said? will do what? At that time, what you should what? Listen to me. 
I can't underestimate how we've forgotten the power of the Holy Spirit. We've gotten this perfect gift from God, and he's been placed on the shelf. We've forgotten this God. And he says, if you need answers, if someone's standing in your presence, I do this regularly. Someone comes, Pastor Jim, can you give me wisdom about this? Pastor Jim, should I do this? And as they're talking to me, you know what I'm doing? I'm praying inside my head, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom to answer and to lead this person. And you know what he does? He gives me answers. One last one, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, and look at verse 26. Romans chapter 8 and verse 26. Paul says this, who wouldn't have written this had it not been for Barnabas. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our what? Weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. He prays for us when we're at a loss for words. He can intercede when you're crying out over this cancer that's been in your body for three years and you've prayed the same prayer. Please, God, heal me. Please, God. And you finally come to your end because radiation is dripping off of your veins and you don't even know how to pray anymore. And you just say, Holy Spirit, help me. You know what he does? He goes right to God the Father and he answers and he groans words on our behalf. The Holy God going to the Holy God. If you don't think there's power there, then you aren't alive. Can I just ask you a question in closing today? Have you went far too long without asking the Holy Spirit who lives in you to help you? Oh God, help us today. We have so much power. We have an incredible gift of the Holy Spirit who waves his hand inside of our heart and says, hey, I'm here. Just ask me. We have way too many Christians that live way below their redemptive potential. And they waste their lives when they have this untapped power living in them through the Holy Spirit. I pray, Jesus, in a strong way that the church of Jesus Christ in Goshen, Indiana, called Grace Community Church, will get a fresh dose of the Holy Spirit. I pray you give us an awareness that our marriages would move to new levels, that our children would would flourish and grow in Christ, that when people bump into us, that the love of Jesus would ooze from our pores and thousands would run to Jesus. Oh, God. Send your spirit, fall fresh on us, please. In Jesus' name, amen.